it's important to note that I, I really like annuities as a strategy. Okay. So there's different ways you can use them to create better retirement, better investing outcomes. Okay. That being said, a, a lot, or you could even argue most of the products that are out there are not necessarily very good. Right. And a problem around this could be that a lot of individuals that sell them are not fiduciaries. Right. So separate like the strategy aspects of an annuity and then the products you often see sold. Welcome into the Free Retiree Show, your go to podcast for your career, your money and where we learn from people that have done amazing things. I'm your host, Wealth Manager, Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm alongside Silicon Valley vet and interview coach, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? And everyone's favorite attorney, Matthew McElroy. What's going on? Welcome in to a money management edition of the Free Retiree Show. So for today, we're talking about a very polarizing topic, annuities. So I know a lot of us maybe don't know exactly what it is, but there's a lot out there. There's a lot of good stuff that you hear about it. And then there's a lot of bad stuff that you hear as well, but definitely a polarizing issue. And the reason we're talking about it is at some point you will have to cross this road as you get into your retirement. Do you want this a part of your portfolio? But today we're going to talk about what is it, how does it work, and the truth behind it. But guys, to start off, do you guys know about annuities? Like, how much do you guys know, Maddie, Sergi? What do you guys want? Super surface level, so I'm really looking forward today to to get yeah. that knowledge. I mean, Lee, we t- talked earlier. You asked me, I was like, explain it to me like I'm five years old. So that's my level. So I'm excited about this one. Yeah. yeah. So break, break annuity, it down in plain English. Well, well, yeah. I'm going to try to, but just to give you a high level, of what it is, it's basically like an insurance contract from a financial company. And what they do is they offer lifetime income in exchange for you investing a sum of money with the institution. So main reason people get it is to... I, it looks like you might be wrong on that, Lee. Should we bring in our guest to, to uh, actually? We, we have, we have, we'll have our, <laughs> we have our guest, we have our guest that's coming on, and he is one of the best people in the world on annuities. And his name is David Blanchett. I'm, we're calling him a financial wizard because that is the best way uh, that I can describe all his awards and accolades. But David, welcome into the show. How are you doing this morning? Great. How about you? We're doing great, man. So why don't you tell us? annuities. like For a lot of people that are listening to the show, they're trying to figure out what it is and what they're used for. So yes. why don't you give us an overview of it? Sure. So it's funny, whenever I talk to like advisors, like the word annuity is incredibly polarizing, right? It is something that you either love them or you hate them. And the problem with annuities as a term is that it's not meaningless, but there's tons of different types out there. So I mean, technically, Earlier, you were right. An annuity is account type effectively offered to an insurance company. The problem, right, is beyond that, it, it can go in lots of different directions, right? I think that they were created originally to generate lifetime income. So you give your savings or some amount of money to an insurance company, they, they guarantee you income for life, right? Mm-hmm. Today, though, it kind of morphed into a, a product that can be used for just accumulation. It can be used for different forms of decumulation. So when I think of the word annuity, I think of more as a product structure where you don't realize gains on an ongoing basis and you're just taxed when the money comes out. Beyond that, it's kind of an interesting place for them today. 
Yeah. So, guys, does that make sense? This is what I see too often, David. Now, this is why I think they get a kind of a bad rap is we have, I'll give you the average thing that I've run into, the average disaster. Uh, friend, family member starts getting into the financial industry or insurance industry. They don't know that much about the product, but they've sat in these uh, sales meetings where they're like, oh, this product, let me tell you, a uh, new financial person, this locks in the highest values of the market and it can't go down. You're going to get 5%, 6% every single year, but it can't go down and it will lock and it keeps locking up. If the market does great, it just keeps going up, keeps going up. But if the market crashes, you're still locked in. You're still locked in. And so, I mean, guys, like for Matt and Serge, like when you hear the way I described it, like, what do you guys think? Does, do you think that sounds awesome? It's too good to be true. I, I would, I'm a little skeptical. Yeah, yeah, I would want to understand more about how that, yeah. how it locks in and the details of that. Cause that just doesn't make sense. Right. If the market crashes, why is it locked? Yeah. And so Dave, I'll let you explain it because you just way better than I do. But like that's, I'm just giving an example of like the disasters. Right. And so what we see is we see new insurance agent or financial representatives say, you know what, this is the, this is the, the Holy grail of investing, put all your money in it, all your cash, all your retirement, put it all right here and then you're good. And so David, I'll let you take it from here. Like, what did I just describe and what are the, what is the truths about it? And what are the fallacies? It's important to note that I, I really like annuities as a strategy, okay? So there's different ways you can use them to create better retirement, better investing outcomes, okay? That being said, a, a lot, or you could even argue most of the products that are out there are not necessarily very good, right? And a problem around this could be that a lot of individuals that sell them are not fiduciaries, right? So they don't have to do what's in your best interest. They have to ensure a product is suitable for you and for your situation. Suitability is a very low threshold. I mean, like these are almost always going to be suitable, but they aren't necessarily always going to be the best thing for you, especially if it's a product that has like what's called a, a heavy surrender penalty, or it's at a, a locks your, it locks up your money for a long time. So again, I think when talking about these, if you can separate like the strategy aspects of an annuity and then the products you often see sold. So at least talking about is the stuff that you like get pitched at like a steak dinner. I mean, sure everyone's got one of these. <laughs> yeah. So true. Like hey, like and the other, it's like there, there's no such thing as a free steak dinner, right? And and so what what they're going to try to sell you is are often these products because this is often an experienced advisor who is a professional fiduciary and who, who does all that. It's going to be someone that is looking to sell someone something. And usually how they describe it focuses surprisingly on the best attributes. So you can sell products that have, have no downside and use, use call options to get upside, all that stuff. But that's the good part. The bad part is that for a lot of these, there can be pretty significant penalties if you want to exit even before like 10 years. And so I think that it, it's often very much buyer beware. And that to be honest, if you are just kind of the, the average person listening to the show and you are focused on the lifetime income aspects of annuity, simpler products could be better. There's products called immediate annuities where you just effectively, you give money to the insurance company to give you back income for life. Those are easy to compare, easy to understand. It's these more complex products that have these guarantees and these step-ups and all these things that can sound really cool, but unless you really understand them and you really trust the person who's selling it to you, it really might not be the right thing for you to use either before or after or during retirement. Yeah. Hey, David, I got a quick question. So 
who is the ideal customer or somebody who's who should be looking for annuities? I know it's a broader strategy, but like, okay. let's just say I'm Sergio. I work at this company. I make this income. Like, who is your who is the target market for an annuity? Who should be looking for them? Excellent question. So again, so again, the, the problem with that word annuity is that it means so many different things, right? And so let's focus on someone who's going to use them for accumulation purposes. So I am saving for retirement. I want to put money away. Okay. Well, the best place you should always save for retirement is in your company-sponsored defined contribution, like a 401k. That's where your money goes first. Okay. Then you put it in an IRA. Okay. If you're eligible based upon your income, everything else. Okay. Then maybe you would just invest in like a, a non-qualified account, a taxable account. But before you do that, do you have kids you want to save in a five to nine? You just lose to me, like you've, you've got to check like every other box first. And then if you have a really high income and you don't want to, you don't want to pay taxes on that money regularly, an annuity could be a viable accumulation vehicle. But it is just super important that you're maxing out your 401k, your IRA, you don't have high interest debt. You're saving like if you've got kids, you're in a 529 because annuities, the money goes in after tax and all the gains are taxed as well. Okay. Like in your 401k, you put money in before tax and it gets taxed eventually. So that is a much better way to save because of taxes than it is for an annuity. So an accumulation, it's someone that has, that makes lots of money that wants to put the, the money in a more tax advantaged account. Okay. That to me is relatively rare. Most few folks are, are going to, are going to check that box in, in retirement though. It's, it's a little bit different. So in retirement, if we're using that word annuity to describe someone that wants lifetime income, it's just really this question of think about how much you have saved for retirement and how much you want to spend. And the most important question is, do you have the amount that you need to have every year guaranteed for life? Right. All, all Americans effectively get some kind of pension, whether it be from Social Security. Maybe that my, my parents are both public school teachers. They have a they have a, a state public pension. If that isn't covering what you need, that you want to have guaranteed no matter how long you live, I think that's individuals who should look more towards should I allocate some of my savings to that guarantee, just so I know that no matter what. I'm covered with my non-discretionary, essential, whatever you want to call them, expenses. That's helpful. So you're putting like you're putting away money now to help you when you're retired, essentially. The kid guarantee the the income. Well, like the thing is, in in if if you're buying these, you know, for investment purposes and accumulation, it's kind of like any other account. I mean, you can usually buy effectively mutual funds or the same exact things that you would buy in a regular taxable account, even in your 401k in this product, but you're not going to pay tax on the gains until you take it out. Now, here's the thing though, you don't have to annuitize it. You could just end up cashing it out immediately if that's what you're looking to do for accumulation. I wouldn't recommend that, but I think that it's really important to distinguish the vast majority of annuities today are not used to generate lifetime income. Okay. They are used as a way to save invest for retirement, but they are not actually annuitized in the traditional annuities are like 2000 plus years old. They've been around forever, but the word annuity used to mean for thousands of years, guaranteed lifetime income. That's not how they're most commonly sold position, whatever today. Everybody's still awake. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Uh, Everyone's just processing. We're like, yeah, I'm, okay. All right. So, I've heard guaranteed all, income. And then I'm like, well, it sounds like it might not be the way it's really used. Right. And that, that, so that's why it's so hard. So like the word annuity is so, is so ambiguous. If we go back 50 years, it was not ambiguous. It was literally like 
Insurance company takes your money, they give you income for life, done. Okay. But today, now there's like, there's like, there's all these acronyms. There's VAs, there's RILAs, there's FIAs, there's SPIAs, there's DIAs, there's, Q. I mean, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, like, I'm a capitalist, choice is a good thing. The problem is that when you have unsophisticated consumers and retirees, they won't always understand what they're buying. And the person who's selling it to them doesn't always have to be a fiduciary. Right? I'd like exactly. to think that everyone out there always does what's in the best interest of their client, but with annuities especially, the problem is that once you buy it, that money could be like locked up solid, no matter how bad that product is for five or 10 years, and that might not be what's best for that investor. Yeah, absolutely. So David, I didn't do you justice in your intro. I mean, you have a PhD. You're a, you have a bachelor's degree from fi in finance and economics from the University of Kentucky, a master's degree from the American College of Financial Services, a master's degree in business administration from University of, of College Booth School of Business, which is an amazing, probably one of the top schools for finance. And you have your doctorate in financial planning from Texas Tech University. Just for people that are thinking, ah, these annuities, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. This David is like one of the best resources in the world on this topic. And we are blessed that we can pick your brain on this. But going back to this topic, like how can we spot the bad ones and how can we spot the ones that can help us? Like, cause there's such confusing, like you said, there's so many different ones. What should we know? Like, what should we look for? So like, I think like I, it's almost an impossible task without professional fiduciary, right? So, I mean, we're all supposed to be good at, at something, right? So I, I have specific human capital in financial planning investment strategies. Okay. So, I mean, I don't work with individuals, but I could help someone understand which product makes sense. Okay. In theory, your financial advisor should be able to do that because they have specific human capital in helping clients accomplish their financial goals. Okay. The problem is that a lot of them can't get paid to sell them. So they don't sell them. A lot of them only sell them. They don't do other things. And so it's really hard to understand how objective this individual would be. And so like, to me, the short answer is err on the side of simplicity. If you want an annuity, there are very simple ones out there and you just have to start there unless you can really trust the individual that is, you know, recommending or selling you the product because these things are, are complicated and complexity doesn't always benefit the end user or consumer. Yeah. And just to be honest, David, like I am a fiduciary, but when I got into the industry, my first like couple years, I didn't really understand how these things worked. Like they're they're super complicated, and you and just like the client goes to the steak dinner, <laughs> the advisor ends up going to the steak dinner as well. It's excellent. I think it was Alexander's or whatever, Alexander's Steakhouse. But they highlight these products like in a way that's just way too good to be true. Like like I was saying in the beginning, like it locks in. You can't lose money and you don't understand like that even though that there's this number that you get from the 6%, like you can only take out a certain percentage at the end of the day once you start to pull that money. So you need to be laser focused on what is the final income number, right? So all too often we see these advisors sell them as like, it just keeps getting this five and the 6%, click, 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 click every single year. And then that's what you get. But the thing is like you get that number, but it's a percentage of that number. And, and that number needs to work for someone's retirement. And even when in my first couple of years, I didn't fully get this whole concept. Now I, I totally understand how they work, but what do you think 
we can do as like as an industry, like the people that are in the financial arena to like make sure that we're doing better due diligence and using these things appropriately. Like it's all too often sold as like the, the answer for every solution. But like you and I talked about before is like, there is a specific way that you can use them. But like as an industry, how do you think we need to look at these products? Well, I think so. You know, I think one concern that a lot of advisors had with these products historically has been that they were all, they're all effectively commissionable. So there's like a, there's embedded compensation for an agent or individual to sell them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Advisors are going to get paid. Okay. The problem is that there wasn't a large product shelf of non-commissionable products where I could just, without that initial load, because if they pay the, the insurance agent to sell it, they have to recoup those costs from the person that is going to use the product. And so now there's been this rise of products that are more fee-friendly or non-commissionable. So now there's this, I think what we're moving towards is a world where any advisor can use them based upon how they help their clients and how they get paid. So to me, I think that's what excites me is the evolution of the marketplace. Now, that being said, like I bought my life insurance online, right? I mean, like you can go, there's websites today that sell the, some of the more basic products, but they give you a very easy to understand comparison, stuff like that. I think the larger issue here is the ambiguity with the term annuity and, and the products that are most commonly sold are the more complex ones, which are harder to understand. So I wouldn't want someone to shy, I think it might, I wouldn't want you to, sh- to shy away from annuities, the entire product category, because certain types are very good and can be very competitive. Problem is understanding what those are and how they work. Got it. Yeah, it sounds like the other problem, Lee and David, is education within the industry as well for the advisors. Because I, I heard trust earlier, and like Lee, like you're kind of my advisor, right? Like I ask you questions, I trust you, I've known you forever. <laughs> but like, I don't know if I would trust a random adv- like I, I would think random advisors are out. I don't want to like bash your whole industry, but they're out to make commission. They're out to sell products, like. How do you know that they're out? They have your best interest in mind. Well, I, th- I think what David was saying earlier was like the biggest takeaway here is that if you're going to buy an annuity, you, you want to do it from somebody that's a fiduciary. The fiduciary status is it's huge, and in, in like the legal context, it's probably important everybody understands what a fiduciary is. Fiduciaries owe several duties to you. I mean, as the lawyer, I owe fiduciary duties to all my clients, and there's duty of loyalty. I mean, duty to trust or to account. I mean, there's just, there's so many, there's a whole list, right? And it's the highest level of duty you can have in that type of relationship. And it's based completely on trust. So when you have that relationship, that person can't do underhanded things or can't deceive you. They can't get one up on you and that you can feel more comfortable trusting them. It always doesn't work out that way because you, as you'll see, you see lots of lawsuits against people for (laughs) breaching their fiduciary duties. But yeah, that, that can give you some kind of peace of mind if you do have a fiduciary as opposed to not having one. And fidu- when we say fiduciary, that there's legal connotation behind that. There's like a Huge, contract. Yeah. That's or a legal relationship. Legal yeah. relationship. Got you. Got you. Got you. Like your doctor is a fiduciary, right? Yeah. Like, like it's how they approach the relationship. And it changes the way that in theory, any individual working with unique capacity should act, right? Like the, the person who's selling you that the insurance thing, whatever it's called at Best Buy is not a fiduciary, right? They want you to, to buy that. They want you to insure your TV. No, no, no. They're like, but to be honest, that is almost the same level of fiduciary duty that exists in the insurance industry for a lot of people. Like, like yeah, like that, that TV insurance policy is terrible, but it might help you. That's all that people have to do for individuals in the retail space if you aren't fiduciaries, because 
they aren't because they aren't fiduciaries. So I think if you are a fiduciary, they're like, you have to understand how does this recommendation, this product, the service actually help you? And is it truly in your best interest? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So when it comes to retirement planning, since you, I mean, you've written over a hundred white papers, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Over, I'm like 100. I'm like 130. Yeah, uh, yeah. Matt McElroy had a riveting night last night and actually read one of your papers. He said it was. Uh, well, he said it was great. Terrible. <laughs> I went through the list. I was like, wow, well, you have a lot that, you're, that are working solid. papers right now, right? You're you're in the process on a lot of them. Yeah. I saw. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, have you? I'm just curious. Did you ever? What's your opinion on this whole? cryptocurrency and all that stuff. I don't know if Lee wants me to talk about that stuff. <laughs> oh, we're going, we're going, going to crypto? Come on. We're going to crypto, I, I, man? I it. It, it always just ends in crypto. You know, I'm, the I'm funny thing is... Because you're so high level in the financial world, I would love to, to get pick your brain on what just what your general thoughts are. So high level, like, I, I do believe that, that crypto has significant potential, right? I just can't assess its value at all. And so, like, I view it from the perspective, like, should you own it? Well, I mean, maybe, but it, 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 I don't know if it's, it's worth what it is worth right now and what is worth what it was worth 10 years ago. So I, I don't understand, I, I don't have a way to value it. So it's hard for me to say that. I, I think that there's just too much rampant speculation, right? People are, I mean, yeah. when, whenever you have individuals, like we'll just say like naive consumers actively pursuing something, investing in it, 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 it almost always ends poorly. We saw this happen back when the tech bubble in, you know, like 1999, right? When everyone was going out, when one thing that is novel and not large becomes becomes this common, you just like, mm-hmm. usually it has not ended well historically. Now that's not to say that this time could be different, but that to me is, is the larger concern is that you have so many folks that aren't necessarily sophisticated actively. Tra- I mean, I have so many friends trading cryptos, it's, it's ridiculous. And I don't know that is, I'm more of an investor that that is a smart like investment decision. Now it's fun. I mean, if you're going to, so a few hundred bucks at it, like why not? But I think it's it's what you what, what you perceive it as versus is it a fun thing you're just doing to ha- enjoy it or do you think like you know people are putting a lot of money into it and th- that's what worries me. Yeah, do you, well, I was thinking like, do you think it's gonna possibly disrupt some of the you know financial products that are out there like like we're talking about annuities and things like that through the decentralization and just all these new companies that are trying to you know spurt up in that area? Well, I mean, so there are now there's better and better ways that you can there's ETFs. Right. Certain insurance companies are actually allocating to crypto in their general accounts. And so to some extent, it is becoming, you know, more mainstream. But I mean, like from my perspective, and this could be wrong, like it's I mean, no advisor has ever recommended that that individuals buy currencies in their portfolios. Right. Currencies are almost like a zero sum game. You're not going to want to make money. Like, why should cryptocurrency because it's crypto be any different. I mean, I mean, you invest in things that you think have a positive expected return, cash flows, whatever else it is. Again, it's not to say that that, that crypto isn't valuable, but like I, what I perceive is you've got a pool of money saved to accomplish a goal. You want to achieve a rate of return on that money to help you accomplish that goal. I have no way to assess crypto's role in that. And so like that to me is what's interesting is that we, we never talked about crypto. I mean, gold was is, is hardly in most portfolios too. But but I don't know. Crypto has this kind of outsized presence given how much it's how the values increased. I, I I don't know. There's just not a lot of data yeah. on it. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. It's risky. It, well, it's just such a huge risk compared to some safer ETFs right. and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't right. doubt that. Like, I mean, if you look right now, like if you could have picked Amazon back in 1999 and known that it was going to be the one, I mean, my goodness, you would have made a ton of money, right? Like, I think what you usually see, like, is, I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it's going to be around for a long time, but it's, again, like, it's 
uh, picking those few winners versus all those that will be gone in two or three or five years, right? Exactly. So, yeah, you've said this before. Fail. The big it's question, like yeah. 99% will fail or whatever. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't I think it's going to be very high. Well, it'll be it, definitely a high failure rate. But going back to our retirement discussion, I love how David's like, it always ends in crypto. <laughs> <laughs> full circle, full circle. <laughs> but going back to the retirement discussion, one thing that we talked about before we got on the podcast, we're talking about like where the bond environment is and how potentially like you could use a strategy with annuities that makes sense. And that was one thing that I thought I was like, man, that really does make a lot of sense to me. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on like the bond market in general. And maybe how you how annuities could play a piece into someone's retirement planning. Okay, so we'll, we'll get, we'll get a, a little bit nerdier here than earlier, but like so right now, like the yields on bonds are like near historic lows. Okay, so and this is like global. I mean, you've got like negative yields where you're gonna like lose money if you give it to the government in, in other countries right now. So we are it's like crazy. in a place right now where it is it is honestly terrifying. Right. If if you have to, if you have a portfolio that you want to have, you know, a, a guaranteed return, this is not the ideal environment. Okay. So given that, let's say that I've retired and I have a lot of money and I am very risk adverse. I don't want to lose money. How do I create income for life? Okay. So one way is to invest in bonds. So you can invest in, in US government bonds, very safe, incredibly low return right now, just just super low. Okay. An alternative, right, would be an annuity. Right. Or the delay claiming social security is actually the, uh, the first place you go. But let's say that you want to buy a very simple annuity called an immediate annuity. Okay. And this is one we've been talking about a lot. Super simple. You just, you give them money and they give you income for life. Super simple. Okay. A reason why today that makes a lot more sense is the kind of the fundamental components of how insurance works. Okay. So when an insurance company does stuff, they also have to invest in today's crappy bond markets. Okay, so they're not making near the returns they were making, say, five years ago. But there's still this benefit of risk pooling inside insurance. So it, it, it's in any insurance product. That's why they pool risk. And it's actually incredibly valuable today. So if you want to create income for life, it's very hard to do right now with your own savings, investing like in a bond mutual fund. And it's also difficult if you buy an annuity, but it's less difficult because the benefits of having that pooling of mortality or longevity makes things better. So actually right now, it actually makes more sense to buy an annuity or guaranteed lifetime income versus if we see interest rates increase. I hope that made sense. Guys? Yeah. Yeah, I but yeah, what, the yeah. thing is, the outlook on the bond market, is that like the, the future of it is going to be kind of a losing game like that? Or is it expected to kind of go up and be more increase and be healthier in the future? I mean, so people have very different perspectives on bond markets. And, and, and most people would say, oh, bond yields are, are, are bound to rise, right? You're at this low point. But like, the funny thing is, if you look back over the last 800 years or the last like 5,000 years, bond rates have gone effectively straight down in a linear fashion over that time horizon. So I'm not convinced that they, if, if they rise, they have to rise by much. And like literally other countries have negative yields on bonds right now. Why does the US government, like the number one economic world powerhouse, have to offer higher yield if no one else is doing it? And someone could say, well, we're going to have inflation 
possibly in the near future. So we're going to have interest rates rise to maybe combat that. Okay. But then we have another market crash and we have got the, the Zeta, whatever variant, they're going to go back down again and say that today. And like inflation goes bananas and they're at like 5% in a year. I'm totally wrong. But what, what's most important though, is not so much the nominal yield. So the nominal yield is like, is if you, it's, it's the real yield. So it's the yield on bonds, like minus inflation. And that's been about 3% historically. Okay, it's negative today. So, okay, if government bonds are yielding 4%, but inflation is 5%, you're still losing money every single year. Right. And so that that to me is, I think, what the new normal is, where you just can't, you're not going to get almost anything out of bonds, especially versus inflation. So why would people even go to bonds then? What is the advantage to them? Especially well, because so, inflation's what, 5% right now or something? It's like three or four, but okay. So, okay. I mean, in theory, like, so, okay. If, if you put your money in the bank, right. And you earned zero and inflation's 5%, you've actually lost 5%, right. Cause everything costs more. Okay. Yep. If you buy a bond, maybe you'll only lose like, like 3%. Okay. So is, you, you can earn zero in a savings account. You can earn two. I'm going to make that up in a bond. So you earn a little, you lose a little bit less. Okay, but you could also invest in the stock market, right? The problem there is you could then you could lose thirty or forty percent in a day, or not. And I know, I mean, we, the market went down ten percent in a day. I think more than once back in twenty twenty. So it's this question of safety, right? If if you want safety, you can put it in cash, but then you're like guaranteed to lose money versus inflation, right? You can invest in more aggressive assets, hoping to beat inflation and have a higher return. There's also more risk there. So, so bonds are kind of like a, a safer way to hedge against inflation as opposed well, so, to the stocks or? Well, so bonds are safer investments, right? So bonds have a more guaranteed rate of return. You can buy certain bonds that are designed explicitly to hedge against inflation, like they're called TIPS, they're called Treasury Inflation Protective Securities. But I mean, I view, so bonds are just the safe asset in your portfolio. You, you buy them under the idea that they're, that they're not going to go down much right? Equities are the opposite. You buy equities to get a higher return. There's also a lot more risk. Gotcha, gotcha. Crypto is somewhere in the middle. I don't even know where crypto is. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 the risk there is out of control. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we're talking about other kind of you know random topics with like crypto and everything too, I, I'd love to hear what you think of the current real estate market. That's something that we're always talking about. We feel like that could have some volatility in the near future. I'd love to hear what you think about it. So, I mean, it's, it's nuts. And so, I, I, you know, my brother-in-law just bought a house. I was talking to one of my best friends yesterday. They put a, this is like their fifth offer on a house because every house that they keep going after, keeps going for a, a crazy amount over asking. And so, I, I mean, right now, real estate makes a lot of sense. I mean, you can get a, a mortgage at two, two and a half, three percent. You have an asset that should at least appreciate with inflation, possibly more than that. And so, I mean, it can make a lot of sense. I think the question, right, is just, it's just one of valuation. It's like, is this an environment that's going to be stable or are we going to have a correction in the future where everything goes down by 10 or 20%? But I, this, it just, it's bananas for me today. Just, I mean, I, I have friends that, that can't buy homes because people are just paying tons of money for it, right? So this is happening in Kentucky as well? We're oh, all, yeah, that, we're all in the Bay Area. Everywhere. everywhere. Okay. Everywhere. I mean, everywhere. I mean, I think there was like a great stat there for a while. There was like fewer homes for sale than realtors. I don't know, like a few months <laughs> wow. ago. But I think, yeah, I mean, like you know, perspective, they literally have made offers on five homes. They saw it like the second it hit Zillow, they were the first couple to, first anyone to see the house, first put an offer in. I think they're going to wait a few days to get more offers, but, like, but that's not normal, right? Like it's not yeah. a normal you know, we have to have pings set up to, you know, to get homes because you're not going to pay 
30% over ask. Right. So it's normal. I think it's normal for us in the Bay. It's definitely not normal. Like, Oh, heck no. It's normal here. Like what you just said has been happening forever here, but not everywhere else. That's crazy. I've never, I mean here, like this is not normal, right? This is, this is not how things usually work. So uh, Dave, thanks for coming on our podcast. Thanks for giving us some great insight into the annuities. I love the, some of the things you said, make sure you buy some for someone you trust a fiduciary, also prospectuses, right? That's one other thing. Like uh, I would say, encourage people to read the prospectus. Dude, those are like 200 words. Like they hurt my mind. <laughs> maybe they can send it. Maybe they can send it to you or Matt. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I think those, like, so like one, one issue with, with, with that is like, is regulators just say, oh, we'll just give people more disclosures. How is giving someone a document of this 200 words with technical jargon going to help them make a better decision? Absolutely. Yeah. So send yeah, it to Matt. Gotta break. Well, that, that's the thing is like, if you have a fiduciary, they're supposed to break that down to you in plain English, right? They're supposed to ensure that you understand that. So it's just a, a benefit of, of having a fiduciary like you, like David was saying. Absolutely. So thanks for all your tips today. Saw that you're a regular contributor on uh, Wall Street Journal, Advisor Perspective, Think Advisor. Where can people get more of your content and follow you? So I think Sergio, like this, actually like LinkedIn has been like a great thing for me. Pre-COVID, I wasn't, I, w- I didn't do a whole lot of it because I was just so out doing conferences, but I really enjoyed it as a way to share thoughts in a way that my compliance department is okay with and just share the things I'm working on, what I'm doing, all that. So it, honestly, like that's like the best place to follow me if you want to learn more about what I'm working on. Awesome. We will connect. I'll connect with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member of FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of LinkedIn Incorporated or Microsoft Corporation. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.